You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody, it's Gene Chatsky, and I'm going to start this show with some numbers that I don't particularly like. Earlier this year, we know that the total outstanding student debt hit $1.5 trillion. That's trillion with a T. And guess who has most of it? Yes, women. According to a report from the American Association of University Women, women hold nearly two-thirds of all the student debt in the United States. It doesn't get better. The average 2017 graduate walked off campus with debt of about $39,000, according to Student Loan Hero. That is up 6%. From 2016, the numbers just keep getting higher. And the questions that we find ourselves at the Hermione team asking over and over again is what can we do about this? What can we do for ourselves? What can we do for the people that we love? What can we do for our kids and our grandkids to lower? the cost. We've got Abby Chow with us. Abby is here via Skype to talk about college saving strategies. Abby is the co-founder and COO of College Backer, which is an online service that enables families to come together to make contributions toward college. It makes it simple, it makes it smart, and it makes it social. Abby, thanks for being here. Jean, thank you so much for inviting me on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to have you. So affording college is one of those questions that I get asked every single time I go out to give a speech. How are we supposed to do this? I know you get asked all the time, too. I, what, do you, what do you tell parents? Absolutely. And, you know, Jean, I'm so glad, too, that you highlighted the questions of you know financial aid and student loans at the top of this show because it really brings into perspective, I think, the situation that we're all in today. So um, when it comes to saving for college and paying for college, frankly, we're in a new world, right, where many parents today and even grandparents are still paying off those student loans because it can take a decade or longer. And so, so many parents today are thinking, you know, how do we save our kids from this exact same fate, especially when the stats show us that college costs are expected to double again in the next 10 years? And if you are in the place of many parents today where you're still managing your own student loans, it really is a tough question about how you find the the money to set aside for your kid's college, even if you know, you know, that's kind of the thing that you want to be doing. And so um, I really believe that using a 529 plan and using a product like College Backer is an amazing way to start your child on the right path. Because the thing about this generation of parents is that we're not as obsessed with stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And we are open to, you know, looking to friends and family for help and support. And those people want to want to be on your kid's team, too. Well, that is really, really good to know. And I, I, I know that there's been research along those lines that parents and 
aren't the only ones in this game. Grandparents want to help. But I just want to back up for a second. You said college costs are expected to double again within the next 10 years. Is that just private universities? Is it public? Is it across the board? That I, I hadn't heard that. And I got to tell you that my heart just stopped. Yeah, so it is uh, across the board. Um, unfortunately, it is, you know, current course and speed. Obviously, I think all of us are hoping for uh, correction. And I think that that's something that, you know, we as a country probably need to figure out. Um, but for parents today, we've got to be, um, you know, preparing the best that we can. And so I think that saving in a smart way is is the best way to do that. You talk about saving in a smart way. We've got a lot of different choices for how to save for college. There are uniform gift to minors accounts, UGMA accounts. There are Coverdell education savings accounts. You can put some money in a Roth IRA. There are 529 college savings accounts. Can you take us through the lay of the land a little bit and explain to us what the advantages are of these different savings options? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a really broad landscape for college savings. And for a lot of families, it can be overwhelming to look at all of them. Um, So the way that we think about it is really uh, in three categories. So when we think about college savings, you want growth, you want minimal impact on financial aid, and you want flexibility. And depending on your situation, you might weigh those different factors differently. But each of the accounts that you mentioned is going to have sort of a different profile on those three criteria. So for the first one of growth, particularly if you are a young family who you know either just had a kid or uh, has a young child, you really want to be looking for an investment that is going to grow over time to make the most of that time horizon. And so for that reason, we might think of bonds, CDs, and savings accounts as options, but those aren't really maximizing growth. And so instead, it may make sense to look at investment accounts, you know, a tax advantage one like a 529 or a Coverdell or some of those other options out there. Um, so that's that's a little bit about that first factor of growth. And so you want your investments essentially not in the safe havens of of bonds, but more in a in a stock market oriented portfolio and a stock oriented portfolio because you've got a considerable number of years until college when your kids are very young. Exactly. So if you've got that 18 year time horizon, you want to be taking advantage of the compounding growth that would come from investing the money, especially if you can look at a tax advantaged um, vehicle that allows tax advantaged compounding. When do you have to get more conservative with your investments? So We like to think of it as a glide path as the child is getting older. And so a a lot of the different investment accounts out there today will provide an age-based portfolio. And that's generally something that we would recommend people really consider. Otherwise, um, every few years, you're going to be wanting to go back into your investment account and rebalance the the risk that you're taking with that money. The people who listen to this show um, frequently know that I'm a big fan of 529 plans. It's how I saved for college for my own kids. I like them because you can put more money into them than you can into the Coverdell. I like them because they don't impact financial aid as much as the uniform gift to minors account, plus the fact that your kids can get their hands on that money when they reach the age of majority just scares the bejesus out of me. So so let's dive in a little bit deeper to 529 plans. How do you open one? It can be 
complicated? And how do you choose the right one for you when every state has one at least and often more than one? Absolutely. It is a great question and it is so confusing for so many parents, as I've mentioned. Um, And so I would want to start by just saying before delving into the complexity, um, it is important. I want to remind folks that it is important to get started as the first step and then you can always be adjusting things later. Um, But I think that a big reason for the complexity is that state-based specification that you just mentioned. So every state has their own plans. Some plans have multiple. Financial advisors also can provide their own plans as well. And so that means as a young parent, you know, looking at this landscape for the first time, you have over 100 different options. Um, And each one appears to be similar, but maybe they have slightly different rules. They might have very different fees. Um, And then there are oftentimes state-based tax rules that might cause um, a little bit of confusion as well. So what I would recommend when looking at this is first, um, do consider whether your state offers a state tax deduction for contributions into your state plan, um, because that might be a really meaningful benefit for you, or it might not. You know, So I'm originally from the state of Illinois, and Illinois does have a state-based tax deduction, but now I live in California, and California doesn't offer that benefit. So that means that today, as a California resident, I can go out and choose whatever you know 529 plan I decide is right for me. Another factor that's new uh, is the fact that 529s can actually be used for K-12 tuition as well. But states are still wrestling with this change a little bit. It was part of the tax reform last year. And so you would want to consider whether your state allows for that um, if that is something that you have in your plans. But I would say the couple things to look at when you're looking at all the different 529s out there, one, the state tax deduction, as I had mentioned, two, uh, potentially different fees. Mm -hmm. So we think best in class is around 0.2% as a general management fee. But even the state-based plans can be uh, on average around 0.6%. And advisor sold plans can be on average, you know, 1.3%. So there's a pretty significant variance there. And then the last factor to consider is just the ease of use. And are you actually going to go in there and set up the account and feel confident with it and share that, you know, with other people and, and actually monitor and use the account? We're going to talk about sharing it in just a second. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. No matter what stage of life you're in, whether you are just getting started, whether you're having your first child, whether you are saving for college, or whether you're on the flip side of that equation, we all want to be actively engaged in our family finances, which is why I thought it was relevant to bring up some research that Fidelity did a couple of years ago. They found that only four in 10 high net worth grandparents are helping with their grandchildren's college savings, even though 74% would be willing to support the cost of that education. Bottom line, you've got twice as many grandparents willing to contribute as actually are contributing. Fidelity has tools and resources that can help you understand where you are today and can help you bring your family along. And you can discover more at fidelity.com slash front seat. We're happy to be back with Abby Chow, co-founder and COO of College Backer. So Abby, College Backer is essentially a tool 
that brings the family into the equation. Can you explain to us what it is and where the idea came from? Yeah, absolutely. So College Backer um, essentially is, as you said, trying to make it really easy for families to start saving with their family and friends. So it really came from our own experience where um, both my co-founder and I were realizing that so many of our family and friends were stressed about this process. They still had their own student loans. Having those student loans shaped their careers in different ways. And they wanted to find a way to um, you know, save their kids from dealing with the same burden. But looking at all the different options out there was really confusing. And they weren't um, they weren't able to to use the fact that all of us, you know, wanted to support them, and we knew that we weren't the only people who wanted to do that, as the stats that you just mentioned show. I personally came from a background in financial services and education, and then my co-founder is a brilliant builder of consumer products, and so we just asked ourselves, you know, why isn't there a service out there that makes it really easy for folks to rally a team around college savings? So how does it work? So if you're a parent, you can go to collegebacker.com and sign up in just a few minutes, get a 529 recommendation if you don't feel comfortable doing that research on your own. And then most importantly, we give you a custom link like collegebacker.com slash your kid's name. And then you can share that at birthday parties, at holidays, even baby showers. And then friends and family can send gifts directly into the college fund. So we'll even support you know, credit and debit card contributions, Grandma can set up a monthly contribution. There are no minimums. So, you know, if you've got a friend who only feels comfortable putting in five bucks a month, that's completely fine. And the entire process is just super simple and super easy. How effective are you finding it? What sort of additions are friends and family making on average to the college fund of a, of a child? Yeah. So um, at a typical birthday party, we see over $500 um, often being given to to one particular child. And so if you just think about that over the course of many years, if you think about you know the baby shower, the birthday, the holiday, all of a sudden that's a few thousand dollars racking up every year that is then growing, compounding over time. So we think that's really exciting. Have you figured out the nicest way to share the link? I mean, this is, you know, it's one of those things, <laughs> you know, I'm asking you for money, but I don't want to necessarily look like I'm asking you for money. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we see a lot of people including it on an invitation with a note like, you know, if you're looking for gift ideas, we just set up this college fund or, uh, you know, no gifts required at this birthday party. But if you'd like to give something, here's a link to so-and-so's college fund. So we see a lot of people that are doing it in that way when it comes to a particular event. And then, of course, with family members, we often hear that um, folks are actually asking the parents, you know, the grandparent is asking the parent, hey, you know, do you have something set up? I want to help out. And so it's really easy oftentimes for the parent to pass that link along. And I know that for all the Her Money listeners who want to give this a try, you've got a special code for us. Yeah, that's right. You know, we'd love to kickstart um, the college fund for all of the listeners out there. So if folks sign up at collegebacker.com slash hermoney, we'll offer a $10 match. So if you go ahead and start saving for college, put $10 into the account, um, we'll match with another $10 from College Backer at collegebacker.com slash hermoney. Fantastic. Abby Chow, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on the show, Jean. All right. Happy holidays. And we will be right back with Kelly and your mailbag. 
Kelly Holtgren, our producer, has joined me in the studio. Hey, Kel. Hello. So one of the pieces of research that you pulled for me that I didn't get to was that over Christmas, and we're right in the middle of the holiday season, kids get $600 worth of gifts, typically. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that money, even half of it, just came in the form of a contribution to education over, I I need to pull out my how much will your savings be worth calculator, but (laughs) the numbers get to be really big. Yeah, really big. And that stat actually came from Abby, too, because she approached us originally. She's like, I have a great idea for you guys. We, She's in the personal finance family. We met her at FinCon, the big personal finance conference we all go to every year. And she was like, holidays are coming up and this number is just, it's gnawing at me because so much of what we're spending money on, on these these consumer goods, especially for kids, you know, kids aren't playing with them a year or two years out. So when you start thinking of it that way, when these like products are not going to waste, but these products down the road don't have or won't have as much value as giving this huge gift of an education, education, it really puts it in perspective. So it resonated with me. I don't even have kids. And that's actually one of my questions is, I don't have children. It's not on my mind right now, but should I open a 529 regardless and start putting some money away in case I do want to use it for my child or someone else's child? Okay. How long have you worked for me? With me? Over five years now, I feel like I'm about to get schooled. And what what question am I going to ask you? Am I maxing out my retirement? That's exactly right. Are you maxing out your retirement? No. No. So the answer is no. (laughs) All right. Well, I have other people's questions. Okay. There we go. (laughs) Look, I think the people who are I think people who are maxing out their retirement. who want to put some money in a 529, that's fine. And even if you end up not having kids, and you know my my yes. theory on this, that one day you just wake up and you want them, even if yep. you've never wanted them yep, before, yep. that's that's how it happened for me. But I think there are other things that I would put on the list of financial priorities, retirement first, making that health savings account contribution, mm-hmm. a, a lot of different things. So um, I, I wasn't being snippy. I Love it when you're snippy with me. <laughs> but Catherine, look, Catherine has a question. <laughs> okay, let's answer Catherine's question. I'm an immigrant and I have the green card status. I did several part-time jobs, but none of them had any 401ks. I'm looking to return to the job market after having two toddlers, and hopefully I'll get the 401k soon. For now, all my retirement plans are still back in my home country, Hong Kong, and none of them can be transferred to America. My husband works full-time and has a good six-figure income. I wonder what I can do before landing a job with retirement contributions that I can start the retirement planning and getting it going. My husband contributes to the retirement plan, but it's like 1% only out of his annual income, and we're in our early 40s, and I really don't think that 1% is saving enough. Any suggestions? Yes, I would focus on your husband's plan. You didn't mention whether your husband's plan matched contributions, Mm. but my guess is that there are matching contributions on the table that far exceed that 1% that you're not taking advantage of as a couple, and that is some free money. So capture that free money and then Open an IRA or a Roth IRA for yourself. As long as you have earned income in this country, you are allowed to open one of these accounts, and your green card status is perfectly aligned with that. 
Great. And good luck with that. Yes. Good luck, Catherine. Thank you for writing in. Now we'll do one from Jill. This year, my daughter turned 18. I'm thinking it may be a good idea for her to get a credit card and begin building some credit. She is responsible with her finances and a conservative spender. Wondering if you have guidance on a young person applying for a credit card. Sure. Um, And I love this question because I do think that for our kids as they head off to college, this is one of those things that we should start thinking about for them. The CARD Act, which was passed a few years ago, limits the acceptance of kids under the age of 21 who don't have income that they can prove that they're earning to get a credit card. If she's had a job for a while, if she can show that she's got income, she may qualify for a credit card. She may be accepted into a credit card program. But lacking that, my suggestion would be to do what we did with my kids, which is figure out which of your cards will report to the credit bureaus on behalf of your kids and get them a separate line of credit on that account as an authorized user. I know American Express does this because we did it through American Express for our kids, but the nice thing was you can set a separate credit limit. So even if your kids go a little credit card crazy because they prove not to be as diligent at monitoring their spending as you thought that they would be, you can very, very easily cut them off by just setting the limit artificially low. And that will, as long as they are reporting to the credit bureaus, help them build a good credit rating because they're essentially piggybacking off of yours. That's great. Good luck, Jill. And happy belated birthday to your daughter. Yep. And we'll do one more from Joni. My husband is a farmer and I work off the farm bringing in a moderate salary. He doesn't in that he receives no paycheck for his work on our farm. Any suggestions as to how the yours, mine, ours approach to money might work best in our situation? We have two young kids and currently have joint bank accounts. Absolutely. I think that what you need to understand is that the point of the yours, mine, and ours system is to give each member of the couple some financial autonomy, to give each member of the couple some money that they can handle themselves, save, spend, invest themselves without it impacting the other person, without having to ask permission. And the way that I would set this up in your case is very much the same way that I would say set it up if you've got a single breadwinner who happens to be a male, which is Figure out a sum of money that makes sense that comes out of your salary to deposit into your separate account and his separate account each month and then see how that goes. It may feel a little strange in the beginning to essentially feel like you're giving your husband an allowance, but because the work that he is doing is valuable but not paid work, it's exactly the same as having a stay-at-home spouse who is making an incredibly valuable contribution that is unpaid. And that contribution deserves to be considered in the financial equation of the entire family. Thank you, Jean. That is great advice. And thank you, everyone, for sending in your questions. Thanks, Kelly. And this week in our Thrive segment, we've got our colleague, Catherine Tuggle, back with us for another series of her reports. 
I'd heard of getting promotions at work. We all hope for getting promotions at work. But you reported a story about getting demotions at work. Can you talk about this? How common are these? Right. Well, they're a lot more common than people think. It was according to a survey of HR managers by a staffing firm office team, one in 10 workers have been demoted at some point in their careers. And it's essentially when you take a step down in your career to a lesser title or salary. In some cases, demotions can be voluntary. For Mm -hmm. example, if your personal life gets hectic and you decide, you know what, I need a less demanding job, you can take a step back. But in nearly 80% of cases, these demotions are not voluntary, and people are asked to take a, take a step back due to either poor performance or failing to meet expectations following a promotion. Are they happening more often than they happened in the past? They are, actually. In today's market, a lot of people are being promoted before they're really ready to handle the responsibilities of their role, and companies are more likely now to demote a poor performer than they are to fire them because they don't want to lose that knowledge base that the employee has. So rather than retraining a brand new person and devoting that time and energy, they'd just rather move the person back to another role. Wow. All right. So let's say it happens. What do you do? You essentially have three choices. You can stay at the company and rededicate yourself to your new role. You can stay at the company and complain about how unfair (laughs) it was. Sounds like not B. (laughs) I'm not choosing B. Or you can leave the company and take your demotion as a signal that this just wasn't a good fit. I need to move on. Uh, Like you said, the only option that you shouldn't take is the complaining one. You basically have to make a conscious decision to stay or go, but you can't be half in and half out. And do people recover from this? They do if they take the right steps to create a plan of action for things that you want to accomplish. You have to build that trust back with your manager. One of the worst things that people can do is to try to get your old role back as quickly as possible and just be constantly asking your boss when you can get promoted again because the trust was broken. Yeah. So that role is no longer a good fit for you. Well, it is something that I hope isn't happening to anybody who is listening to us, but it's really fascinating that my guess is that this is a byproduct of the fact that we're in such a tight labor market these days, that people really feel like they can't afford to go through yet another expensive hiring process. So if they can retrofit an employee who's just not exactly working in this new job, it's better all around. Absolutely. But a big blow to the ego at the same time. Yes. Just as much as a promotion can be uplifting, a demotion can be just that much demoralizing. Did the story bring out any helpful advice for how do you play this with your colleagues and your friends? That's a good question. No, not that. No, I think it's interesting. And I, I my guess is that if you can just sort of own it, If you're owning it within your company and you can own it with your colleagues at the same time, you don't have to hide in plain sight. Right. And I think that that was somewhat answered when with the comments about rededicating yourself to your role. Just be as positive as you possibly can, because the only time I think your colleagues would ask you what's going on is if you're sitting around moping and you're complaining at the water cooler about how poorly you were treated. This is one of those cases where faking it till you make it with a smile is probably a really good idea. Yep. Catherine Tuggle, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. 
Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Abby Chow for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review because we really like to hear what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with Shannon McClay, founder and CEO of The Financial Gym. We'll talk soon.